Hi, and welcome to another episode of the MedTech Matters podcast, where we learn about somebody impacting the medical device industry. I'm Sean Fensky, Editor-in-Chief of MPO and host of the podcast. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Asha Parakh, a biomedical engineer and CEO of Frontline Medical Technologies. Dr. Parakh, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks, Sean, and please call me Asha. How are you doing? Okay. I'm well, thanks for asking. Um, so let's, let's start, you know, right at the most obvious question. You know, give us, a, give us a little insight on what Frontline Medical Technologies is, and, you know, if you want to get into your Cobra OS technology, that'd be great as well. Yeah, great. Thanks for that. We're, uh, Frontline is a stage medical technology company, and we've developed a device that is essentially used to help save patients in emergency situations. That's very broad. So perhaps the easiest example is in the case of trauma. So let's say a car accident or in the military setting on the battlefield, you have an injury to an extremity like your hand or your leg, you can apply pressure there to stem the bleeding. However, when there's internal bleeding in your sports region, you can't compress that area and effectively stop the bleeding. Mm-hmm. So basically, to prevent patients from bleeding out in those type situations, um, what you do is you block the aorta, the major blood vessel that carries blood to the rest of your body. And what that does is, it might sound scary because you're preventing that blood flow to the bottom part of your body, but it prevents the blood loss through the injury site, for one. And you're making sure that your critical organs, your brain and your heart, continue to be perfused with the blood that's pumping from your heart. So that can keep you in good standing. This is obviously a temporary measure, and it just mm-hmm. allows for the patient to be transported to definitive care. The crazy thing is, Sean, if you're outside of a hospital and you sustain this type of uh, injury where you have um, hemorrhage in your, the term is non-compressible torso hemorrhage, which is, basically internal bleeding um, that you can't compress. Like 90% of those patients won't even make it to the hospital because you're just, you know, uh, you can imagine depending on the extent of the injury, you're continuously losing. So this basically is it bridges the time gap and, and gives the patient a chance, a higher chance of survival. I've oversimplified a lot. Have any questions? Right. Please feel free to ask, and um, I'd be happy to answer. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, and, and understandably so. So, I, and I appreciate the uh, the you know, for lack of a better word, the dumbed down version for uh, you know those of us that aren't aren't in the medical field. Um, so, you know, I mean, while while you know, it doesn't sound like a great situation to cut off blood or stop blood from other areas of the body. Obviously, when you, I I believe you quoted 90%, uh, you know, mortality rate for uh, those who who eventually bleed out um, given this this situation. So obviously the alternative is much worse. But how long before there's uh, longer lasting or permanent issues with Mm -hmm. stopping the blood flow to other areas of the body? Yeah, that's a great question, uh, Sean. So, um, you know, they're, they're basically 
um, two areas where you can block the aorta, but to answer your question, usually it's within the range of 30, 30 to 90 minutes from, from what we know right now um, that you can, and, and there are um, you know, procedures that are being kind of modified to extend that time um, mm-hmm. right now, but if, if you're fully blocking the aorta, uh, generally somewhere between 30 to 90 minutes is, is safe. And, and, and after that, I mean, obviously, if you're, you know, in an emergency situation, they're already moving quickly. You know, mm-hmm. hopefully the ambulance ride is not very far or even the, you know, the, the rescue helicopter, whatever the case is. That's right. Um, and, they can, right. and they can get you to that urgent care. Um, mm-hmm. So how does this compare to other, you know, are there other solutions on the market or is this kind of a unique you know, is this addressing a critical need? You know, I know you mentioned compression. Mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. the only other available method of treating this, condi- you know, this situation? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, what are, what are the alternatives? Yeah, so uh, basically if you're in the patients, like you said, you're, you're basically rushing against the clock, right? Um, you know, if, if you can compress it, uh, if you, I guess it depends. And tools you have at your disposal at the end of the day. If compression mm-hmm. is your only option, you're going to do that and you're still going to try to get the patient to where they can receive definitive care as soon as possible. Um, in, in regards to alternatives to our devices, to our device, there, there are, there's basically in North America anyways, one, um, there is another company that provides a similar device and, um, you know, there are a number of differences between ours and theirs that I can get into, but there are, uh, the main difference is ours is a lot smaller. So um, if I start to do some of those things, uh, when you're accessing, we didn't talk about, I didn't get into the details of how you block the aorta, but um, basically if you're in a hospital, what they used to do was actually basically crack open your chest and make their way um, to your aorta and throw a clamp from the outside. So mm-hmm. same theory, you're cutting off the blood flow to make sure that the brain and heart are perfused and that you're not losing any more blood. But that's obviously very expensive. Uh, and like five to ten years ago, uh, this procedure called Reboa um, started gaining a lot of popularity again. And basically it's a less invasive way of blocking the aorta. So you go through the femoral artery in the groin and so you mm-hmm. gain access to that femoral artery and then you basically put up um, a balloon catheter and you you uh, advance it into the aorta and you blow up a balloon from the inside so instead of clamping from the outside uh, it's like an internal clamp from the inside achieving the same goal you're turning off the tap to the lower limbs so on and so forth um, but the of, um, talking about that is when you're when you're accessing that femoral artery, um, the, it, it's relatively small, and so the smaller the device, the the better it is for the patient. The better it is right. for, mostly for the procedure for ease of use and and whatnot. So there used to be there's something, um, there's a measurement of diameter called French size. I don't know if you've ever heard of French sizes, but mm-hmm. it's basically just saying, yeah, like the size of the tube. So, you know, if we talk about that, there's, 
there used to be a lot of uh, their angioplasty balloons and, and devices that had, you know, 10 French, which is just to put it in perspective, uh, a 12 French is like 3.3 millimeters um, in diameter. And a few years ago, there was a that came out with a, a 7 French device, which is 2.3 millimeters in diameter. And, you know, that was a big, um, a big change in, in, in this field. And, you know, it was, um, you know, uh, a great advancement because it was a lot smaller than what was available. And so, you know, mm-hmm. the benefit of having a smaller device and the time that it takes and the risk involved. And, uh, and our device is actually four French. So we've essentially cut half, which is um, uh, extremely small. Now, what that does is actually the size itself is, is important, but it also increases the speed at which you can use the device. So, you know, we have, uh, we're, we're almost half of the size, and right, right now we're we can deploy our device in in about one minute, and that's compared wow. to an, yeah, and compared to an average of about eight minutes for alternatives. So that's a that's a very that's a significant difference. And if you think about uh, practically speaking, if you're bleeding out for an extra seven minutes, you know, every second counts when you're bleeding out, let alone minutes. Right. So that is yeah, that's. Um, you know, those are two of the major advantages to our device. And we also have um, some safety features that are um, very uh, distinct and specific to our device and the design of our that um, lowers the risk of, um, of, of doing this type of procedure in general. And uh, we've simplified it so there are steps, which, you know, again, I, the, the whole thought behind it when we were uh, designing this, um, my, my partner and I, um, was to really simplify. When you're in these emergency situations, you know, the less you have to think about, the better, right? Like, you want it to be as simple as possible, um, you know, people that are, are trying to save these patients. So, um, yeah, that, that's, those, that's essentially the, the major differences between device and, and what's available. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think major is even even underselling it because, you know, when you're talking about deploying it in one minute versus deploying it in eight minutes and you're talking about somebody bleeding out, as you indicated, I mean, that's not even that's not even significant. That's that's life changing. That's the difference between life and death when there's a seven minute difference. I mean, that's that's a, a you know, for lack of a better word, that's a crazy number. That's a crazy yeah. difference. You know, I mean, seven minutes when you when somebody's bleeding out, it's it's one thing to add, you know, seven minutes to a to a six hour surgery or something. You know, then okay, then we're not talking about a, a substantial change, but mm-hmm. accident situation, ambulance pulls up, deploys this, patient's no longer bleeding, you know, off to the hospital. That's right. You know, and that's and right. that's, that's yeah, I mean, that's that's unbelievable. Um, and. Is is this available? Is this currently in use? Is this on the FDA, you know, cleared or approved? Is this available? Mm-hmm. So we are FDA cleared and Health Canada approved, and uh, we are just getting on the market. So yeah, it it is available. And have you have you had uh, has it been used in the field? Is it currently being used in the field? Do you have any, you know, real world data or anything like that that would indicate, you know? 
what the what the numbers are showing in terms of you know survivor survival ability or you know anything like that yeah. that kind of gives a comparison yeah, we don't have any of those statistics just yet as we're just, um, you know, getting out there and pulling that information. But we mm-hmm. are, um, you know, uh, definitely uh, tracking and are going to assess these measurables moving forward. It's just a bit early for actually have uh, uh, significant data to compare to right, right now. Um, but we are gathering that. And, and also, you know, the other, you know, nuanced thing is that um, you know we have to be um, careful about how we gather this data because I mean like as you can imagine these patients are critically injured so um, you know we want to make sure we're capturing the right things um, about why they you know let's talk like how you said about survival rate and and that type of thing you know are, are these patients would would they survive regardless of doing this procedure or not, and you know that type of thing? And obviously, every case is different, right? So um, it's uh, it's tough, but it's very very interesting. Uh, this is a, a field that's still booming, to be quite honest, Sean. It's an emerging field, and so there is a lot of data being gathered worldwide um, around doing this procedure in general. So. It is very interesting, but yeah, we definitely look forward to being able to um, get some of these statistics. Um, yeah, you make actually a good point that, uh, you know, it would almost be, it's, it's certainly not like you're going to do a clinical trial where you're not going to use it versus using it. Um, you, you know, emergency situation, I want, I want the person arriving to use the best technology available, and if they can deploy this in a minute, please use that. Um, <laughs> You That's know, right. so yeah, it's so funny I, you say that. Yeah, sorry to yeah. cut you off. It's funny you say that. My uh, business partner is a vascular surgeon, Dr. Adam Power, and he says mm-hmm. things like, you know, people talk about clinical trials for this, but again, if you're if if there's a patient in the hospital that he needs to help, you're not gonna, you know, if you didn't have this, like you're you don't decide whether to clamp a aorta or not. You do what you have to do, right? Like it's it's not, right. you would never leave a patient to, to not get the care they need. But yes, uh, you know, um, having, having. Right, a, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that goes, that goes to a bigger issue of, you know, clinical trials within the medical device space, but we won't, that's a certainly a <laughs> very different there. conversation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. That's a, that's a completely different discussion. Um, yeah. But what have you gotten back? Have you have you had you know have you met with uh, EMTs and you know emergency responders, whether you know uh, mm-hmm. civilian or military, or you know have they mm-hmm. been able to try this technology and and what has been the response? Yes, uh, to 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 all of those questions, there there's uh, significant interest from from all. And, you know, just to backtrack a little bit, we didn't really talk about this but yet, but, um, you know, EMTs and um, um, we, we touched on, but there are, there are many places, uh, including in, in the hospital and outside the hospital, that it can be used. But the different parties that are involved, um, you know, that could be using it are very different. So you think about, mm-hmm. like I said, my business partner who's a surgeon, versus the EMT who's on scene and then, you know, the battlefield. Um, but to, to, get to, your, to, to get to your question about uh, interest and use, 
we haven't had any um, EMTs or anyone use it yet, uh, mostly because right now this procedure uh, is, is mostly done in hospital, uh, oddly enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you know, it's, uh, the, that has to do with, again, having, having technology that is um, usable on the field and for paramedics use that everyone kind of feels comfortable with. So we're hoping, you know, that that barrier will be lowered with our simplified device. Um, and but there, yeah, there's certainly interest. We we have, as I mentioned, we're FDA and Health Canada approved right now, but we continue to have conversations um, with international groups about this because here are it's very system related as well, like in Canada and you and North America. Our emergency services are uh, a little bit of a group of their own. But, for example, mm-hmm. some of the groups we're talking to in Europe, they have uh, physician-based emergency services. So they actually are, you know, doctors who are on the scene a lot of the time on site. So it is very interesting to learn about those different systems and how um, it might be easier for them to adopt certain technology and procedures um, in different parts of the world. Um, and yes, we have had uh, some military groups try it out, and um, you know, uh, to to simplify everything, the response has been, I mean, it's been very positive. Um, you know, we we continue to collaborate and work with many different groups, and um, all all of the feedback is very good at, at this point. We are early on, I will say. So, you know, right. um, as I mentioned, we're just getting out there. But so far, it has been it has been very positive. Yeah, and that, and that was going to be one of my other questions was, was you know, I mean, when I think of, of this type of system um, and, and deployment, it makes me think of, you know, when a stent is placed or things like that. Right. It seems like it's the same sort of uh, approach from a from a you know how it's how it's being delivered mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but there's a big difference of course between placing a stent in an OR in a planned procedure you know mm-hmm. relatively calm and an emergency situation with someone who you know has, is not a vascular surgeon i mean you know obviously That's right. uh That's right. so what is the learning curve for uh you know any an EMT or a an an person in an emergency situation to deploy this system? Yeah, great question. So, I, I mean, ultimately, and this is something that I've learned um, during the course of, you know, this, this journey uh, with Frontline is that it really depends on a, a few things. One is obviously the individual. Two is the mm-hmm. system. Um, because different places, um, you know, the, the people, whether they're EMTs or physicians, exposed to different amounts of, you know, say this type of procedure. So as you can uh, probably appreciate, the more you do something, the more comfortable you become with it, so on and so forth. Whereas the places where you might not see this type of thing very often, they're like, oh, okay, well, I don't know about that, you know, or they might not have the same comfort level. So, um, you know, there definitely is an education side to it, and uh, we, we do... Uh, continue to provide training and education surrounding um, our device and, and, as I said, just using um, all of the efforts worldwide of the different groups gathering data around the procedure itself. Um, but, 
you know, again, we, we do think that with our smaller device and, you know, the, the ease of use and steps, uh, the, the learning curve, you know, has been, has been helped in that, in that matter. And that is what we have seen so far. But I mm-hmm. think, um, again, it is very group specific. So even within North America, you know, we could talk about, um, you know, uh, EMT group in Canada here, let's say in London, Ontario, um, needing a very different training and education program than somebody in Houston, Texas. Right, right. uh, Individualized, like, you know, depending on um, how things work in in a certain region. Right. So you mentioned you're, you know, you are very early, you know, you do have the uh, the FDA uh, clearance, but what is, what's, you know, what's next, what's coming up, what's, uh, you know, what do you envision for, uh, for frontline medical technologies? Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, you know, ultimately, uh, yeah, we're just, feel like we're just getting going here, but uh, more education, I know I already talked about that, but I would say education and expansion because there there's so much to be learned still here. And, you know, I said education, we're not pushing the procedure. We're not trying to get people to do this more often than it's needed. But if there Mm -hmm. is a situation where aortic occlusion is official to the patient, then we strongly believe that we offer the best solution. As you said, give me the best tools in the situations that's going to be, you know, um, help help the patient to definitive care. So, you know, a lot of that. and, And as I mentioned, it is a growing field. So, um, you know, the, the education part, I think, will always be there and um, trying to get um, different groups, as I said, individualized kind of um, that, that may be best suited for them, for the different, different groups and different cohorts of people and different systems. And, and expansion, uh, you know, beyond North America, we are currently working on our CE mark, so hopefully that will be uh, in, in short order. And international mm-hmm. expansion, you know, our, our goal is to help as many patients as we can, uh, you know, get this out there and get it used. So however we can get that um, done, we don't want, um, you know, there to be limits to people using it, um, you know, even in third world countries, if, in uh, places where it's hard to reach places where, you know, um, they may not have the resources. But um, so, you know, we're, we're just going to try to, to help as many people as we can. Right. Well, that's, that's fantastic. And, and best of luck on that, on that journey or that continued thank journey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. But I'm, Unfortunately, that is all the time we have for this episode of MedTech Matters. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Asha Parak, for, of, uh, the CEO of Frontline Medical Technologies. And as always, I'd like to thank you, the listener, for tuning in. So until next time, this has been Sean Fenske, Editor-in-Chief of NPO, saying thanks for listening.